Coming up on this episode of Belief Hole. If you listen closely, when among the haunted crags and rocky cliffs of the Superstition Mountains, you just might hear the echoes of lost gold and cursed treasure. A dark legend of many men who've met their end. But what stories lie stranger still beneath this alleged stone abode of the Apache Thunder God? From tales of glowing desert portals to encounters with cloaked inhuman wraiths. Join us on this episode of Belief Hole as we hike deeper into the mystery and seek the stranger side of the Superstition Mountains. Synchronicity, Sasquatch, Homunculus, Alien Races, Satanism in Hollywood, MK Ultra, Tartaria. There's like a whole. I've been watching this one guy. Close like, the door, in. Jury, in. close your door. What's the uh, inner Earth disagreements? Ghost Dad. <laughs> I like that movie. Dogman, Bohemian Grove, Felt, Magicians are demons, Specters, Spirit summonings, Strange disappearances, Sky Whale phenomena, yes. Alternative history, Shadow people. Shh, quiet. I'm trying to say words with the mouth. It's getting dicey out there. Poltergeists. That's cool. Anunnaki. What is the moon? <laughs> Elf towers. I would never talk about. That's old. Y2K. Cover-ups. Apocalyptic catastrophe. Vampire. Vampire. Ah. <sighs> well, hello, hello. Hi. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, John. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Belief Hole. Yes. I'm your host, Jeremy. I'm John. And I'm Chris. And we are the Brothers of the Hole. And today we are bringing you a very exciting, fascinating, mysterious supernatural episode on the Superstition Mountains. Yes. A true adventure. (laughs) True adventure tale. Imagining a lightning strike or something. Yeah, that's why I heard it in my head. Good. (laughs) My voice Um, sounds extra bassy. Oh, your microphone? Maybe I'm just getting stronger. I'm just getting older. I'm just getting stronger. <laughs> Let's get into it. Yes, this will be fun because a lot of people listening are familiar with the Superstition Mountains. A lot of people know this tale or think they do. It's probably one of the most popular topics when you talk about mysterious adventure, especially in the Southwest. The story of the Dutchman's Mine. The Lost Dutchman. The Lost Dutchman's Mine, which can be a very in-depth tale with a lot of intrigue and ins and outs. But because we are the belief hole, we're going to try to give you something a little different. And we'll leave links yeah. where you can find that retelling really well. But we want to tell the untold stories of the Superstition Mountains. Yeah, I wanted to mention that. You can get stories of the Lost Dutchman's Mine and the in-depth chronology of the legend and the lore. We're going to touch on that a little bit for those of you who aren't aware of that mystery that is in the heart of the Superstition Mountains. Because it's important. Because that kind of highlights the beginning of the tragedy and the darkness that lives in the superstition mountains, the mystery there, the legends and the right. lore. That's kind of the you know more modern fascination with the superstition mountains. But this place is old. It's ancient and it has legends and lore going back through the legends of the Apache, the people that there for millennia. Yeah, some of the crazy stuff we're going to be talking about other than that are glowing portal doorways, people vanishing inside of them. We're ta- going to be talking about night flyer attacks. 
Yes, clandestine guardians of the mountains. So this will be fun. Have you heard of the Superstitious Mountains, John? From you. Okay, I don't know if you'd come across it on the tubes. Well, when I do my paranormal research, sometimes <laughs> it comes up. That's a good one, Jack. <laughs> when I'm deep in the thick of it, sometimes deep the superstition the yeah. mountains appear. Mm-hmm. When you get that research goo all over you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you might connect with this, even though you haven't heard of it, because of Sedona. Remember our time in Sedona? Do you remember our guide? You probably don't remember our guide, but you remember taking the pink Jeep tour? It's like oh, the yes. classic thing to do out there. Our guide was talking to us about vortexes and portals. And that's before, I think, had we started the show? I think it was just before we started. Well, we asked him because we... Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was very... He talked a lot about that kind of stuff. Well, what's interesting is I think that guide is the guy who I grabbed the story from for this episode, who I've been wanting to tell the story or retell it since we started the show. You think for, he, it was for from last him? Year or so. I saw a video. I was like, why does this guy seem so familiar? I think this is the guy. Really? Yeah. And I think you would love this guy. His name's Corey Daniels. I already uh, met him. Well, I don't know if, it, I don't know <laughs> if, he's, if he's the guy who gave us our... He said, it seems so familiar to me. And he was talking about vortexes and portals in the desert. Really brilliant researcher. Also in a lot of conspiracy type stuff that we're into. I'll leave a link in the show notes. We're going to tell his story. So I was just getting some background on him to see who he was. He has a website called Phoenix Enigma, which is fascinating. It researches into like the uh, occult history of the desert. But I was looking at his background and said, besides being an advanced hiker and in the area and all his other bona fides, he had worked guiding the pink Jeep tours for like four years oh. around the same time that we were there. Interesting. So I was like, what if this is the guy? So I reached out to him because I wanted to get in his own words, his story, but I never heard back and he hasn't been active online for like a year. So I hope he's okay, but we're going to tell a story anyway. So if you're listening, Corey, if there's portals anywhere in the world, they're in Sedona. I was going to say, if there's portals in Sedona, maybe that's where he went. <laughs> There you go. Maybe right with his pink Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there, Corey, hit us up. Uh, but that, that'll be a great story. That's coming yeah. up about what something attacks him in the desert. Seems like a really cool guy. But uh, yes, yeah, so it's going to be a fascinating episode. So getting back to this area of the Superstition Mountains. So I didn't know this. This is what's fascinating. Have you seen images of Superstition Mountain, Jones? <laughs> what, what now? <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting, getting ahead of my mouth here. Have you seen pictures of the Superstition Mountains? No, I haven't. This is why I wish we had an extra screen that would be easy to use in the, in the studio here, just to show you some I images. I see one on the notes. That's one of them. I can look it up. Yeah, go ahead and do a little Googler. This is a beautiful, majestic, mysterious place. And what's fascinating about this area too is that the Superstition Mountains is... Oh, that's awesome. ...one of many sky islands, they're called. And they're called this because if you look at the basin... Wow, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? And we'll, we'll have pictures in the show notes, guys. And it's so magical. It really is. Yeah. Dude, I want to go back so bad to just to this area. Man, I bet you there's tons of aliens and reptiles. They're there. all over. <laughs> Creeping and crawling, man. That is there. I mean, there's a bunch of lore. There's tons of lore about underground bases. Oh, yeah. Reptilians. Even and, within the native people there. Well, yeah, there's things that connect back to that, especially with the, the underground tunnel systems and caverns and the legends. We're going to get into some of that. But these are sky islands. This Superstition Mountain is one example It's a bunch of little mountain ranges, isolated, reaching up into the sky above the basin of the Sonoran Desert. And what's fascinating about these sky islands is they're the things that live on the top of these mountain ranges, these sky islands, they can't exist down in the desert. So you have all these islands of animals and plant life that exist isolated from the desert sea below. They are landlocked on on the mountain. Yes. And I'm not sure if the Superstition Mountains or the soups, as locals refer to them, are high enough as some of the other sky islands to support this kind of distinct community, but it's a fascinating region. It's weird. It's like, I can't tell how big it is. The, the Superstition Mountains? Looks like it's 3,000 feet. No, but like just the whole thing, it's hard to get a, a yeah. scale for it. 
I'm yeah. sure it's big, but it looks kind of like a small little range. Yeah, it's it's not as big as some of the other sky islands that are, I think, 6,000 feet. This is a smaller one. But just like the circumference right, of it. The like how surface area. Could you walk around the whole thing? Like, no, no. It's 160,000 acres oh. of land. So what is you're seeing is probably, <laughs> <laughs> what you're seeing is probably the, I think the spot right behind Apache Junction. That's where the Superstition Mountain Museum is. It's kind of, I think, one of the points. I think maybe the Weaver's Needle might be right there, which is another distinguishing rock yeah. upcropping. There's a lot of lore around the, that needle within the Lost Dutchman Mine story. Yeah, I may be wrong about that location, but I... But this area is so interesting. Arizona in general, just a beautiful, mysterious place. You may recall we did Stardust Ranch recently. That's only like an hour from here. Phoenix is, is even closer. Phoenix is just to the west of the, the Superstition Mountains. You've got the Phoenix Lights. There, there's so much stuff that's happened in this area. It happens kind of regularly as far as just people's personal experiences with the strange and unusual. Right. That it really makes for an interesting region. And we're talking about the mysteries and things that happen here. And guys, I know we're kind of setting this up a lot, but we're going to get into some specific examples. But um, when I mentioned the Sky Island feature of the Sonoran Desert, these rock islands jutting into the sky like the Superstition Mountains and many more. That's important and that's coming up because it's going to connect to something we covered in the past. For those of you who remember the Nahani episode, I think there might be, I mean, this is, you know, high strangeness conjecture, but there could be some connection with the rocks. You you made a fascinating connection, I thought, with the research. And we're going to get to that. But first, let's break down kind of the beginning of some of this, what a lot of people think of as the heart of the mystery in the Superstition Mountains. And again, we're not going to go deep into the lore. This is not going to be an episode on the Lost Dutchman's Mine. We'll put links in the show notes where you can find really good in-depth articles and and videos on that. But we're going to touch on it briefly because it goes to the heart of some of the mystery here. And then we're going to expound deeper into the hole, deeper into the Superstition Mountains and tell some really, I think, fascinating tales and stories of real people. Truly bizarre. Truly bizarre. Some real legends and lore and uh, get into some other stuff you may not have heard in other Superstition Mountains episodes. So um, let's get into it by getting into a brief overview of the Lost Dutchman's Mine, Chris. Yes. How does this all start with the Lost Dutchman's Mine? Like, when does this begin with the gold there, the mystery of this. I guess we should let people know that this is something that treasure hunters have been seeking since the beginning of the legend of this lost gold in the Superstition Mountains, which yeah. scientists say the Superstition Mountains can't even produce gold, right? Although you nonetheless has been found there, different sides of the mountain range. Right, but the idea that the, the volcanic rock that this is made up of... It shouldn't contain gold vein. Right. But yeah, nonetheless, gold has been pulled out of the hillsides there. And this area is on a fault line as well, which yeah. also plays into the story. But yeah, when does this kind of start, Chris? So this really all starts when we're talking about gold. We're talking about when the Spanish arrived in 1540 and the region was inhabited by the Apaches. Now they consider the Superstition Mountain to be a sacred ground. Uh, as you you know, just by looking at it, you can see why. Just aesthetically, it has sort of a magnificence and a power feeling to it. And the Apache considered this land, this area, the home of the Thunder God, which is interesting because scientists later would discover geologically that there is sort of an intermittent rumbling in that area because of the volcanic activity that's still kind of in the fault line, right? lingers underneath. Is there volcanic activity or is it just the fault line? Well, there was thousands of years ago. That's what created the mountains in the first place. Mm-hmm. So when the Spanish arrive, but they don't really care about the... Apache the sacred, sacred lands. Right, exactly. Um, they're not concerned with that. The conquistadors led by Francisco Vasquez de Coronado, they're looking for their legendary seven golden cities of Cibola. So that's what they're for. They're, they want gold, right? right? That's the old... And they believe that it's in the area. Yeah. And they're searching. So... And they're told by this by the Apache, the people that aren't going to help them look for the gold, but they do tell them. Oh, yeah, they do? They do. That's weird that they would because they don't want people... Well, on. maybe they mentioned it before they knew that's what they were there for. This is all also, <laughs> I don't think this is necessarily documented. It's part of the right, legend. This right. is part of the legend. But the Apache refused to help them, as you would imagine, and they warned them that if they dared to trespass into the sacred ground, that the Thunder God would take revenge and that they would cause, quote, 
tremendous suffering and horrible deaths. And as you'll see throughout this episode, this is indeed what happens, not just to the Spanish. But everyone else who comes looking for gold. Yes, onward, moving forward through time. Some really bizarre deaths and disappearances. So I want to quote this one part here from Legends of America. I thought this was written well. And it kind of sums up the beginning of the legend. Yes. But the Spaniards were determined and began to explore. Almost immediately, men began to mysteriously vanish to the point that warnings were given to never stray more than a few feet away from the rest of the group. Still, more men disappeared, only to be found dead later, their bodies mutilated and their heads cut off. In fear, the conquistadors finally fled, refusing to return to the mountain, which they dubbed Mont Superstition. The legend has begun. And I do think there's some question to where the name actually comes from, whether it was locals that coined that, prospectors, pioneers, after hearing some of the rumors and lore from maybe native populations in the area, or if it was actually the Spanish. But regardless, there is a deep, dark history here if you listen to the legend. But yes, continue, Chris. And so, as you'll see, as I mentioned before, this does become sort of a cursed location. At least that's what, I mean, legend or not, Tons of tragedy. Oh yeah, chronicled in the the legend. Going back to the early days when the Spanish first got there. Almost every year, there's either a murder or an alleged strange suicide, which doesn't make sense, or a headless disappearance. people disappearances. The uh, the amount it's a of long chronicled story from beginning around this time with the Spaniards and then moving into the modern era, contemporary really going up to times, the 70s. Yeah. 80s. Even people now go looking for gold and disappear or die tragically. Yeah, and of course, like this is a treacherous area just in hiking terms. You know, you get caught out there without the right preparation, you're in a bad situation. But aside from that, still mysterious murders. It's also, this is an area that is known for gang activity now these days. Really? Or at least that's some of the, the rumors to possibly explain what goes on there. Oh, okay. Because of the mysterious deaths that are still occurring. I don't see a lot of gangs hanging out in the rough terrain of the superstition. You'd have like, like solar with panels. Like water or, packs. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. What are they doing out there? Um, I think it's more likely it's underground bases. But yeah, let's get into some of that. Yeah. So from there, uh, the story carries on. And we get into the idea of like, where does this gold come from? And again, this is not going to be a deep dive into the gold, but we go through it here uh, to give you an idea of this kind of lingering mystery. The next person on the scene is Don Miguel de Peralta, and he's given land by the King of Spain in 1748 even though, of course, it's already Apache territory and this land is sacred to the Apache. Now, this guy Peralta, his name's important because his family line goes on and they make, at first, it's infrequent kind of expeditions into the mountains for the gold because they're aware it's there, but they are also aware of the Apache presence, the Apache and their fierce protection of their sacred lands there. And over the years, as the descendants continue to mine, there's an attack at one point and the Peraltas stop completely. Yeah, it's like, I think the descendants, the children of the original land baron. Yeah, throughout the history, it seems like they go, and there's interactions with the Apache. They don't go well for them, so then they stop. And then finally, in 1864, another descendant, Enrico Peralta, he's leading some 400 men and miners. Yeah, I think it's around the time of the Mexican-American War, and their land is going to be lost. It's going to be given to, the, I think, the U.S. Yeah. And so they're going to try to get as much gold out of there and take it back to Mexico with them. And unfortunately for them, the Apache hear of this and they catch up with them on the northwest slope of the mountain in an area that's referred to now as Massacre Ground. As the story goes, all but one of the miners were ambushed and killed by the Apache, 400 plus men. Never again did the Peralta family venture back to the mine and all maps and knowledge of its location were lost through the years. Although over the years, they did find bags of gold. Right. You'd find random sacks. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting thing too. There were satchels of gold found, as the story goes, on 
the bodies of dead donkeys that have been killed for food or whatever. But the idea was that the Apaches, they weren't interested in the gold. Right. So maybe they killed the miners because they were on the sacred land taking from the mountain, but not necessarily concerned about taking gold for themselves. Yeah. And the reason it's called the Lost Dutchman Mine is because of the entrance of our next character, Jacob Waltz. In the 1870s, he had befriended one of the Peralta heirs, allegedly, and knew the location of the gold. And his story is long and mysterious and chronicled, and we'll link to different places you can find all that. The weird thing about his interaction with people around the area and with the gold is he'd appear in Phoenix with bags of gold or enough to buy whatever he needed. He'd go away, come back with gold. He just it would appear out of nowhere with gold, but at the same time, he never filed a claim, which is what you're supposed to do if you had a mine, because that gave you license, essentially, that said, this claim is mine. No one else can mine this land. It belongs to me. He never did that. So that's mysterious enough. And there's a lot more to the story of Jacob Waltz. But finally, on October 25th, 1891, he dies of a stroke after having only given a few clues to people around him at the time when he was, you know, on his deathbed, which I don't know if he knew he was on his deathbed. He had $15,000 of gold at the time under his bed, which is a lot. Like, where did all this come from? So that's where the legend began of the lost Dutchman's mine, even though he was German. That's just a side note for accuracy, but most people didn't make the distinction back then. And ever since then, people are still looking for this gold and people still die there regularly trying right. to find it in weird ways. Drawn to the gold. And this is, you know, reminiscent, of course, Nahani Valley that we covered. Well, right. When you start talking about headless men and the amount of headless men on this mountain, Odd. bizarre. Yeah. And that's really the dark heart of this, right? The headless men stories. One of the most colorful characters, I think, in the lore around this area sadly ended up headless. Yeah, so as the story gets out about the gold and everyone's looking for it at different times, there was a man by the name, this is one of my favorite characters in this whole story, Elijah Marcus Rivas, the madman of the superstitions. And there's a picture of him in the show notes, John. He looks like a wild, wild man. Yeah, he looks like that guy from uh, Duck Hunter. <laughs> yeah, he's got the, the Nintendo of, game? The beard? No, no. The show. Oh, <laughs> Wait, this, what's it called? It's not called Duck Hunter, is it? It's called like the Duck Boys? Duck or? Dynasty? Duck Dynasty. Oh, yeah. He looks like the, he does. the dad. Yeah. Well, he's got quite the mane. Looks, looks a lot like him. Maybe it's his grandfather. Maybe he went through a portal. There are portals and there. And started his Duck Dynasty lineage. He's sure. like, I didn't make any money in the Superstition Mountains. Maybe I'll make it in Hollywood. Anyways, this guy's name, this is one of my favorite characters, sad as his experience was. He looks like a madman. Okay, but he's not. So this is what's really interesting about this guy. Okay. This is why I like this guy. Yeah, he was called the Madman of the Superstitions or the Old Hermit. His name was Elijah Marcus Rivas. Very eccentric prospector. But what's interesting about him, despite his crazy, bedraggled, long-haired, unkempt appearance. Despite all that, he was college educated and had previously taught school, which is rare for prospectors in the area. He'd farm vegetables and hunt in his little isolated hermit mountain retreat. And even though he wasn't a very social guy, if people came to his door, he wouldn't refuse anybody. So nice fella. His manner was kind. And he would go around and sell his vegetables to other little encampments and stuff. That doesn't sound like a madman at all. What made him seem so mad? Well, he never shaved, never cut his hair. Seldom bathed. It's not that abnormal for the time, though. No, but there were rumors, this is the part that I like, the rumors that he was prone to running naked through the canyons, firing a pistol in the sky. Sure, and this is maybe why he did it. Sure that he was mad, even the Apaches left him alone. Maybe that was his Ah. plan, you know? Appear crazy. But like, ah, you're not going to kill a crazy person, right? Or it could have been loneliness and whiskey. He was also a prospector in the area looking for the gold. But sadly, in the spring of 1896, when Rivas hadn't been seen for some time, one of his few friends went to check on him. The nearly 70-year-old man was found dead about four miles south of his home on a trail near Rogers Canyon. His head had been severed from his body, and he was lying several feet away. Sad. What 
removed his head. Sounds very familiar. This is the beginning, I believe this is the beginning of at least after the Spaniards in yeah. the 1500s, 1600s, of the headless men in the area. And then it goes on. There are more examples of this. Yeah, it's crazy. So speaking specifically of headless men, throughout the decades, this continues even to modern times. June 1947, prospector named James A. Cravey made up, I guess, a very publicized trek into the canyon by helicopter. Oh, I heard about this guy. Yeah, searching for the Lost Dutchman's Mine. And of course, as you might expect, he failed to hike out. And the following February, they found his headless skeleton in the canyon. This is the weird part. It was tied in a blanket and his skull was found about 30 feet away. And this is the interest, another interesting part. The coroner's report said there was no evidence of foul play. And this becomes sort of a theme. So strange enough, right? He's found tied up in a blanket with his head removed and further oh, away. Oh, tied up. Okay, well, there you go. That's why, a problem. Why no foul play? Interesting. Doesn't get into detail there. October 1960, a couple decades later, a group of hikers found a headless skeleton of an Australian student, another headless body. 1961, police began searching for a prospector by the name of Jay Clapp. And after a thorough search, the hunt was called off. You can guess three years later, his headless skeleton was finally discovered. So just more examples of headlessness. Weren't there people who were found shot in the back of the head and they deemed it, or there was like a bullet riddled corpse? In yeah. One of so it, was, it was deemed a suicide. There are other deaths that would happen on a relatively regular basis that were strange accidental deaths or ruled suicides, but don't seem to make sense as far as the facts on the ground. February 1951, Dr. John Burns, physician from Oregon, was found shot to death on Superstition Mountain. The, quote, official ruling was that the death was accidental. Then you had another one in 1952 from Dayton, Ohio, close to our stomping grounds. His name was Joseph Kelly. He vanished, was never seen again, until his skeleton was discovered two years later. The shot in his skull was ruled an accidental shooting. Why was it ruled an accident? We don't know. The last example I'll give here, 1955, Charles Massey, who's hunting with a 22 caliber, was found shot between the eyes by a heavy caliber bullet. 22 is not a heavy caliber what bullet. What did they say? It was suicide? They said the coroner ruled it an accidental death resulting from a ricochet. Oh, right. So he shot a rock and it hit him in the middle and right between the eyes yeah. with a different bullet. Well, there are early prospectors too who, I forget which guy this was, but he had killed himself, but his gun was full of bullets. Right. Or Stories guns like that. missing. Another guy who, who survived came back and said he was sniped at. Right. And... and believe that some of these deaths were caused by people simply sniping people from a faraway rock Right. Base. So this goes to some of the theories of, well, first of all, you have the obvious prospectors shooting each other or someone trying to get up on someone else who may have gold, at least going back to the early days. But then you have the idea, I, this is kind of an interesting idea to me, is the idea of an ancient clandestine renegade group of Apache. Right. That's rumored there. That's rumored that they're still out there, or Pima, I think, depending on who you talk to, that are still protecting the sacred lands and basically removing anyone who gets too close. It reminds me about The Mummy. Oh, the movie with Brendan Fraser? Yeah, where there's like a secret sect of uh, ancient guardians or something. We are part of an ancient secret society. For over 3,000 years, we have guarded the city of the dead. Sworn at manhood to do any and all in our power to stop the high priest Imhotep from being reborn into this world. Question. Why doesn't he like cats? They were trying to like make sure that the mummy didn't come back or something. Right. But the idea that there is like, <laughs> it's a, like a secret society of Apaches is the, is right. the story. They're tasked with the responsibility of protecting the ground. So that's another theory. Yeah. And there's all kinds of theories. Of course, there's a bunch of disappearances. We won't get into those, but just strange vanishings of people. Yeah. Which would tie into our portal discussion later on in the episode. So stick around for that. But, you know, hearing all these stories about the headless men and the search for gold, gold curses, mountains, and even monsters, claims of seeing creatures and things coming out of the mountain, in and out through portals, entering into the rock. All of this reminded me so much of what we had covered previously, Nahani, Valley of the Headless Men. So I checked, I leafed through Hammerson Peters' brilliant book, 
Legends of the Nahani Valley. Guys, link in the show notes. If you don't have that book, get it. It's amazing. It's thick. It's sourced. It's awesome. And he notes the same parallel that occurred to me. So after talking about the Nahani Valley and all the similar discussion on the experiences of mystery there, he goes on to say, There is another legend of the American Southwest which eerily evokes the folkloric essence of Nahani Valley. In south-central Arizona, on the western frontier of what was once Apache territory, lies a range of mountains known as the Superstitions. The legends that surround this region, tales of supernatural forces, mysterious beheadings, Indian curses, and lost gold mines bear remarkable resemblance to many of the legends of the Nahani Valley. For centuries, local Apache Indians considered the Superstition Mountains to be sacred, believing that they were inhabited by an angry thunder god who dwelled in a deep hole which served as the mouth to hell. Legend has it that the violent dust storms for which that part of Arizona is notorious are attributable to diabolical winds which emanate from this Stygian chasm. Although the question of whether or not the Navajo and Apache nations are the progeny of the Naha tribe is a subject of debate, Archaeological evidence indicates that the Nahani Valley was indeed once inhabited by an ancient Dene tribe and may have even served as a migration route for the ancestors of more southerly Dene groups. I remember that. I remember, I remember discussing that in the Nahani Valley episode when Hammerson had covered that. The theory that the Dene people had moved, migrated from the north, the cold northlands down right. into this area. And the idea that in that episode, in his book, he talks about the Naha, which were this lost tribe of kind of violent, powerful, mysterious Indians that lived up in the Nahani Valley, in the Mackenzie Mountains. One of the theories is that they migrated down and became the Apache. And so that's kind of an interesting connection, because if you think about what's happening here in the Nahani Valley, prospectors were killed, beheaded, disappeared. They were looking for gold, trying to take gold out of the Mackenzie Mountains in the Nahani Valley. Who was doing that? Well, you could argue that the Apache that protects the sacred lands down here, or were protecting them at one time, and fought the Spaniards that came in, if there is some surviving group or tribe, you know, maybe separated from the modern reservations, but some ancient surviving offshoot, if there's someone out there that's still protecting the land, just like the Naha may have been up in the Nahani Valley. Or even something more supernatural. Yeah, well, there's the question of the, the Nakani, right? right? And that, this, is, this comes from Philip H. Godsell, The Curse of the Dead Man's Valley from 1950. And uh, Hammerson Peters, in his book, brings this forward. He says that the Nakani were a race of prehistoric troglodytes, or Nakanis, as they have called them, with repulsive gargoyle-like faces who lived in caves cut from the living rock, Creatures reported to be twice the size of ordinary humans who never missed a chance to carry off unwary hunters or stray squaws in their powerful gorilla-like arms. Now that's really interesting because he uses the word troglodyte and I just recently watched the movie Bone Tomahawk, which if you guys haven't seen is a fantastic movie. It's like a Tombstone meets Predator starring Kurt Russell, so extra awesome. And it takes place somewhere in the American Southwest, and essentially they're tormented by these creatures that they refer to as troglodytes that are twice the size of normal men, much like the Nakani. And this harkens back to the legends of giants in the area, cannibalistic giants. But instead of in the north, in the Mackenzie Mountains, where Nahani Valley is, they're here in the south, the American Southwest. Is this movie maybe accidentally pointing out a connection? This empty area is a mountain range. Forbidden territory has been for centuries. Uh, somewhere in the northwestern part of it is a place my people call the Valley of the Starving Men. Troglodytes are said to live there. How many of them do you think there are? Uh, 
won't matter. You have no chance against any number of them. Now, that's one idea, right? These kind of cave dwellers, right? And you hear about the caves in the Superstition Mountains. Well, is there a parallel there? Things coming out, removing the heads of these men in the valley, protecting in the mountains. Yeah. And now you might ask, well, okay, we're talking about the Mackenzie Mountains way up in the north, north end of the Rockies. We're down here in the Superstition Mountains in the Sonoran Desert in Arizona. So if I say, what if it's the Nakani or the Naha from the Nahani Valley, the Mackenzie Mountains, or whatever it was that was viciously guarding the gold in the Nahani Valley of those northern mountains, what if they are also here in the Superstition Mountains protecting the sacred mountain and all of its treasures? Are these the same entities, spirits, forces within the mountain Hmm. that are protecting? You might say, well, it's a different mountain, right? Yeah. Like I said, Mackenzie's way up north. We're down here, American Southwest. That may be true, but remember what I said about the Sky Islands. Yeah. This is a fascinating connection here. The Sky Islands are a part of what's called the Great Cordillera, which means extensive chain of mountain ranges. This one is referred to as the Spine of North America, 4,500 miles long, and it runs from Alaska to southern Mexico. But it has one break, one break in this gigantic mountain chain. It's a low saddle called the Cordillian Gap, between the Rocky Mountains, the Colorado Plateau, and the Sierra Madre Occidental of Mexico. This low elevation gap is a biogeographical barrier, and about 65 isolated mountain ranges span the Cordillian Gap, rising like islands from a sea of desert and grassland around them. So smack in the middle of this desert sea, the Sonoran Desert, is our Superstition Mountains. They are an island, but they are a part of the same network as the Mackenzie Mountains. So what I'm saying is is that these little sky islands, the Superstition Mountains, is a part of the same network, the same chain as the Mackenzie Mountains in the Nahani Valley being the northern extension of the Rocky Mountains. We're in the same rock, it's the same mountain, are the same creatures, the same protective spirits, the same entities. We have the, this pattern going on with the gold, people being beheaded and disappearing and strange apparitions being seen. Is it the same thing because it's the same rock? Is that possible? Are they connected underground still? Through yeah. volcanic tunnel systems? Exactly, canyons within the earth. Let's go look. Let's go look. Yes. Yes. Therein <laughs> lies the mystery. No, that's definitely fa- a fascinating connection you found geologically. So what is out there, Jared? What is lurking in these mountains? Okay, so b- beyond the Nakani, this kind of brief connection. By the way, if, you, if that sounds interesting, you guys, definitely check out the Valley of the Headless Men episode we did. Probably one of my favorites ever. Super full of adventure and mystery. Yeah, we'll link in the show notes. And of course, Hammerson Peters' book. Yeah. Which is awesome. Beyond this, let's say it's not Nakani. Let's say, you know, what other options are there? Okay, beyond inner prospector murder... You know, they're just killing each other off, stealing each other's gold or ill-prepared hikers, which you get obviously with disappearance. And that has happened. People going out treasure hunting and it's very sad. But if it's not that, what is taking the heads? How are these kind of mysterious, inexplicable deaths occurring if we're not going to go the usual mainstream skeptical route? Well, we're in the belief hole, so we're going to look at some other ideas. Some of the more regularly suggested strange theories, if you want to call them that, like I mentioned, the clandestine offshoots of ancient Apache tribes protecting their sacred lands. That's an option. Everything from evil spirits of the mountain to our old friends, the reptilians. Ah, yes. Underground bases, alien interference. We have a piece of that coming up in in the expansion, actually. Really crazy, fascinating story. Even the Apache Thunder God himself has been blamed at times for these disappearances and deaths. This brings us to what we briefly touched on before, portals of the Apache and the Thunder Gods. I can't wait for this. Vortexes in the desert. And usually I'm not super interested in portals in that area because there is a lot of, you know, woo-woo. We have Sedona crystal stuff. Not that I'm knocking that stuff necessarily. Right, right. But But it has a wrap, right? Right. And you get the new age belief in energy vortexes. But when you hear firsthand accounts from people who've seen these things, 
who aren't necessarily in that sort of community, it makes it all the more compelling. And you pull back to the traditions of natives in the Sonoran Desert, Indians in Southern California. Right. And this is interesting. They have a belief in the idea of portals, windows to another world, windows to other realms, the lower world. This comes from Gary A. Varner. He's a lecturer and writer on folklore and early religions. And I found this on his website about the Kowesu, or natives of California. Sorry if I didn't pronounce that right. He tells the story of a man who entered an opening in a rock to find himself in another world where the spirits of deer killed in a hunt go after death. The man saw water that was like a window. He could see the mountains through it, but it wasn't water. He passed through it and did not get wet. When he was outside, he looked back and saw the water again. This individual found himself further up a canyon just by stepping through the portal. Do we assume this is simply a tale of a shaman's travels, or do we consider that such portals may actually exist between realities? That was Southern California folk, the uh, Koesu, Koesu. Now, the Apache shamans here in Arizona, they also revered the sacred mountain and caves that lead to the underworlds, such as the superstition. Morris Oppler, who's an American anthropologist, relates one tale told by an Apache. My father is a shaman. A spirit came to him and told him to go into the holy mountain known as Guadalupe Mountain. When he thought he heard a voice telling him to go into the cliff, he turned around and started to enter the mountain. The cliff opened like a door. The shaman entered the cliff and came to another door, which was a great rock turning around and around. They call it by a name that means rock that swings around together. As the man went through three more rock doors, he finally emerged on the outside of the mountain where an ancient man sat who proceeded to instruct the shaman in healing knowledge and religious ceremony. Awesome. So that's some examples of the lore of vortexes and portals going back generations. It's so interesting because that first story, that account of the deer or hunting the deer, going through that water-like portal, that's something you hear across the globe in a lot of tribal cultures. Oh, yeah. There was one, I'll have to find this, but there was a specific hunting culture where part of the coming of age ceremony for the boys who would join mm-hmm. the hunt was to literally go through one of these portals and then you would enter another world, basically. And then when you came back, you would tell what you experienced. They apparently knew where one of these was and it was part of their culture that grew up around this portal in the local really? region. I'll have to find that. It'd be awesome. Yeah, because I don't know how much veracity, but I remember it being very, very fantastic. Right, tale. and there are legends. There's the 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 orphan and the elk dog. That's what they called horses. The Blackfoot, I think. Anyways, maybe we won't get some of that in the expansion, but there was a fascinating story about that. The character's name in the legend was Little Arrow or Long Arrow. But anyways, he travels to the underworld, which is the lower world. It's like a watery kind of realm. But this is all throughout. I mean, there's there's rock carvings. Well, this in the show is there's rock carvings where portals are depicted, the shaman or whoever passing through. It's a rock carving going back, I don't know how many thousands of years. Mm-hmm. But so this has been an idea throughout time and history. And the idea of caves, the theory is that shamans would go into caves because they believe that was the closest you could get to the realm of the gods, the underworld or the spirit world. And when they would take or go into meditative trance or whatever they were taking to reach the shamanistic state, the rock would open and they could enter through the barrier to the the next dimension, the next world. That's a whole other interesting topic with psychedelics and shamanism. Just a little interesting anecdote. You guys remember Geronimo? Oh, yeah. He was the last Apache, I think maybe the last Indian leader to be captured by the U.S. Army, but a pretty amazing character. But he, according to legend, he was seen approaching the Superstition Mountain running from the U.S. military or whoever, and then disappearing, and then reappearing in New Mexico. Was he hip to some underground 
yeah, tunnel system. I've heard a lot about the tunnel systems there. Uh, is it a vortex? I mean, if that, I don't know it's even true. Right. You know, but it's just kind of an interesting note there. But there were legends about tribes using underground caverns and caves to basically travel undetected and then come up and bushwhack or sabotage. Yeah, there's the Apache, of, the story of the Apache death cave. Yeah. And we're going to go through that story in the expansion. That's really interesting. Um, Are we going to take a quick break? Yeah, let's take a quick break. Yeah, the expansion is going to be really interesting because we're going to get into some of the crazier stories we haven't even gotten to. Speaking of portals and the sacred mountain of the Superstition Mountains, you're going to like this, John. We're going to get into the Vatican connection. This is where... I love the Vatican. You love the Vatican. I think you love this mythology behind this. And again, nothing against Catholicism and our Catholic listeners out there, but we're open to exploring all mysteries here in the hall. But this is where the Lucifer telescope is located, or the Lucifer instrument within the large binocular telescope on the sacred Apache mountain of Mount Graham. In the Vatican with the University of Arizona, they actually lobbied against the government at the time to get around the sacred... Apache land laws, the protection of religious rights, whatever the Native Americans, whatever it's called, to get this mountain. I think it was years of legal battles to finally take it. Yeah, from them. we're going to get it's into crazy, it. shocking. We're going to get into that expansion. That's pretty crazy. And I think the large binocular telescope is right next to the Vatican telescope in reality. But it's such a weird location to share. And the acronym for guys that you don't know, the Lucifer Telescopic Instrument. It is a ridiculous. I mean, to name it the Lucifer Telescope. It's an acronym, right? They'd... It's an acronym. And I'll just read you briefly. The acronym is L-U-C-I-F-E-R, right? Lucifer. And I'll give some emphasis on each word that connects to a letter. It's the large binocular telescope near infrared spectroscopic utility with camera and integral field unit for extragalactic research. So with right. all those words, and that's the full name. So they put they as many They basically words, make whatever acronym they yeah, wanted to. They just wanted to get all the letters that would fit them and then not use all the words in the acronym. That's insane. Yeah. So anyways, we're going to get into that story, some of that connection, the occult spiritual connection. Why, yeah. Why building this telescope on a portal that of sacred? That on itself just shows the Vatican is not who they say they are. There's, there's no a lot reason of, for that. I, I mean, mean, there's there's low light pollution. So, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, there's a million things why. Right. But not to say anything about Catholics, obviously. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with Catholics. It's just the... The organization. There's a lot of weird secrecy. And why why are they interested in having a this telescope anyways? Well, we'll get into that. It's just so strange. And I think it's fascinating that they wanted so badly to put it on a spot that was sacred to the Apache as an area known for its yeah. window to the other to the realm. Underworld, yeah. yeah, really interesting. Lightbringer. Well, there you go. I mean, they, their argument at the Vatican, they say that the... Uh, we'll get into the expansion. Okay. I'll yeah. say it just briefly. They say it's one of their roles is to keep track of time and the, the calendar. And they do that by measuring the stars or something. That's like a role of the Vatican. Sure, there are other churches to put a telescope. Anyways, that'll be interesting. We're going to get into some other strange stuff, more portal stories and hollow earth type stuff here in the superstitions. So enjoy this expansion preview, guys. And when we get back, we're going to get into some firsthand accounts of mind-bending portals, along with night creature attacks. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, guys. So stay tuned. And now a preview of our expansion. And if you'd like to get access to this expansion episode and all of our other expansion episodes... Just go to beliefhold.com and click the big red join the expansion button. Double the episodes, double the fun. Don't miss out. And now a clip of the expansion. Access granted. John told us that around the 1800s, three Indians were hunting and upon returning to their village, discovered a stone archway. Being in a jubilant mood, they began chasing one another through the opening in a playful manner. Moments later, one jumped through, but never emerged from the opposite side. Fearing they had entered some sacred ground of the gods, the remaining two fled the scene. 
Arriving at the village, they told the medicine man how their friend had vanished before their eyes. As the story spread, others journeyed to the high plateau to gaze upon the stone structure. Rocks and other items were tossed through, but nothing occurred until an elderly woman approached. Tossing in a live rabbit, it suddenly vanished. The Indians backed off in fear and spread the story of this doorway to the gods as it came to be known. John himself has been to the site on many occasions. The only time he witnessed anything strange was around 1948. A big storm had blown in and the sky was filled with dark clouds in all directions. As he rode past the archway, he noticed the sky through its opening was blue. No clouds were visible. Dismounting, he walked cautiously toward the formation and peered through. The mountains on the other side hadn't changed, but the sky was clear. Looking around the corner of the structure, the sky was once again covered with dark clouds. Fear gripped him and he rode off. Some believe John was looking into another time period through the portal. We asked John, if the story was indeed true, why hadn't it been investigated? He replied that only his people knew of the story and it had never been mentioned outside the tribe. The only reason he told us was because we had shown him kindness while stranded beside the highway. The expansion preview. <laughs> Hope you liked it. Yes. Join us there. Sign us up. Sign you up. Sign me up. Let's all just get over there right now. Okay. <laughs> all right, guys. Let's continue on this tip of the iceberg we've been exploring. Yes, the portals. Coming off of the idea of the portals and the vortexes, entrances to the underworld, whatever these things are, we mentioned that there's that kind of new age Sedona <laughs> kind of lifestyle mm -hmm. where, and when we had our pink Jeep tour, you know, it was talked about a lot of crystal shops in Sedona. Right. And that's kind of the thing down there, but it is a beautiful, mysterious place. I could see why you would get into topaz and quartz, you know, like the desert is a really, listening to Corey Daniels talk, it's a really vibrant ecosystem. The life that's there, even though it doesn't look like much, you know, mm -hmm. so Ohio boys would imagine that the desert is just dry and, but it's teeming with life. Apparently a biodiversity in the Sonoran Desert that you can't find anywhere else on Earth. So I could see getting fully invested and then just becoming like a desert rat. It also just feels spiritual there. Well, we were there very briefly a few days, but it felt like when you're there out there, especially when it's quiet, it really does feel otherworldly. Right. Grounding. But I, I say all that to set up kind of this next story here. I found this on an archive of the Arizona Winter Visitor newspaper from 2001 when I was looking for portal stories in the desert. And now this story is about two campers this allegedly did happen. They even sent a photograph into the Art Bell Show, apparently, in 2001. Oh, awesome. Uh, two campers trapped by a vortex in the Superstition Mountains. Now, this happened on November 11th, 2001. So 11-11-01. And it was a month with two full moons and a blue moon. And this was important to one of our main characters here, Katrina L., who had traveled from Florida. Important to her because she was a Wiccan and numerologist. So she believes in vortex. She believes in the importance of certain days of the calendar. And so she wanted to experience a vortex in the Superstition Mountains. So she goes. And this is how her story begins. Katrina met Robert S. 
on desert BLM federal land just outside Apache Junction. It is an undeveloped area used by several people unable to afford the more expensive campgrounds in the area. The area is peaceful and commands a majestic view of the Superstition Mountains. Robert was schooled in the ways of the ancients and knew what brought her to the area. He had been preparing his circles at his camp in preparation for the event also. On Sunday the 11th, at noon, they left the trailhead to climb toward their objective, the northwest corner of the Superstitions. By dusk, they had reached their objective, a steep sloping hill that commanded an excellent view of the vortex area. Robert began to cast his ceremonial circle, a circle that would protect those inside the sacred circle from any harm. It was dark, pitch black to be more precise, as there was no moonlight. They had no campfire or flashlight. Katrina felt uneasy. Something bad was coming. Robert also felt her concerns and told her not to look upon whatever she saw for very long. Soon, they began to hear coyotes howling in the distance. The intensity of the howling increased. It was as if the entire mountain was full of howling coyotes. It was now 10 p.m., and the canyon floor below them began to glow an eerie green color. The walls of the canyon reflected the glow and cast shadows upon the rocks. Visible, moving, shadowy figures appeared within the glow. They were black shadows cast by the green light. For the next three hours, they stared in awe at several life-size black figures circling the glow within the canyon. Some would circle the area in ever-increasing circles. Others would stay in the center of the glow. There were too many to count. The intensity of the glow increased almost to the intensity of daylight, a green, eerie daylight. Not a sound was heard. Not a breeze was blowing. It was cool, but not cold. They could smell a strong odor of hyacinth and other flowers. By 1.30 a.m., their bodies were forced against the slope. Not a disabling force, but a powerful force. They could not move at all. They were almost helpless. Off in the distance, they observed one of the black shadowy figures coming in their direction. It appeared to be going its own way, and then it turned toward them. As it got closer, they could see it was neither climbing nor flying. It was going through the motions of climbing, hand over hand, but it was a few feet off the ground. It was moving toward them. Not a sound was heard except the pounding hearts of two individuals, instinctively wanting to run. But run where? The slope was treacherous, and they were precariously perched on it. The glow of the canyon provided enough light to visibly make out some form of a being, the likes of which neither of them had ever seen before. They came closer. Katrina, although visibly shaken, felt safe within the sacred circle. Robert was more skeptical. He was afraid it was going to eat them and would have rather had a gun. With every ounce of energy he could muster up, Robert grabbed his disposable point-and-click camera and aimed it at the entity. When it was about six feet away, he took a picture of it. The flash of the camera illuminated the entity, then it disappeared. By 2 a.m., the energy field diminished and the glow began to fade. The shadowy, circling figures began to disappear in the center of the vortex. The vortex had collapsed. The chains of energy that held them hostage were now severed. They were free to go. It was too dark and treacherous, and with the present danger gone, they decided to wait until first light. First light came about 6.30 a.m., and the long trip down the mountain began. They had seen what others have seen and reported, glowing green lights, moving dark figures, and restraining forces. They had sensed the feeling of not being alone and watched. The Native Americans before us have the same occurrences in their legends. Katrina wants to go back, 
Robert cannot wait for the next Vortex. The film was developed with little expectation that anything would be on the film. To their amazement, the entity was photographed. The entity is a substance known as ectoplasm. It is a translucent to opaque matter of unknown composition. Some believe it is a manifestation of one's own psychic abilities or an externalization of thought. Others believe it is a substance from another parallel dimension in time. And then, yes, the photograph was scanned and sent to the Art Bell Show. That photo will be in the show notes of this ectoplasmic being. So ectoplasm is real? Uh, uh, some, I mean... Are you, it is, yeah. I mean, the Not just name? made up. Yeah, so the Ghostbusters thing? Yeah. That was Dan Aykroyd's baby. Incoming Ghostbusters tangent. He was well aware of ectoplasm and all that huh. stuff. His family, they were into that stuff. His grandfather was a, had mediums over all the time, psychic mediums. So he always wanted to do Ghost Smashers. Right, which was the original name. Yeah. Well, they wanted to call it Ghostbusters, but there was an earlier show that apparently had the trademark. Eventually, the production got the rights, so we know Ghostbusters as it is today. It's funny how one little adjustment can make it sound so weird. <laughs> Ghost Smashers. Sounds like a the, cheap knockoff. But if you, if you think about it, Ghostbusters would also be kind of weird if we'd like never heard of it. Busters. You just grow up hearing Ghostbusters. Yeah, but Ghostbusters just sounds good. Yeah. It does. Ghost Smashers. It doesn't roll as quite as nicely. And now that I think about it, I wonder if Ghostbusters would have been the name if Dustbusters hadn't been invented. Because it's true. It, you know, it was in the vernacular no, in the 80s. I mean, because busting is, existed yeah. before a dustbuster. That's true. But I feel like that was such a popular 80s invention was yeah. a dustbuster. I can't think of another, like, like who busts stuff? I guess your Tari's busted. Yeah, I mean, bust, yeah. True. busting was definitely a word. I'm going to say it's the vacuum. <laughs> vacuum cleaner did it. Dustbusters. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I mean, it's a, a quick side thought, but it's interesting. If Ghostbusters had never come out, there mm-hmm. was so much that would not have become mainstream as far as like ghost hunting and, right. you know, ghost gadgets, obviously, like over the next you don't know 20 years. Sure, but yeah. Right, probably. There's such an influence on it the made, culture. It made ghosts more of a, a commonplace thing because it was a, the film was a phenomenon. Right. You know, a global phenomenon. Before that, you didn't have a lot of popular culture discussing it. It kind of mainstreamed ghosts, I yeah. think, to a degree. It's really commercialized it. Let's just do an episode on that. What about Ghost Dad? <laughs> that was after, I imagine. I think so. What about Ghost with Patrick Swayze? I mean, if there's any phenomenon, if ghosts are actually real, I think. If? I mean, Get out of the studio. Enough people have had enough experiences <laughs> yeah. that there's something. Whatever There's a are. phenomenon. So it would have eventually came online. Prophet John DeCrease. Uh So that's that story. Yeah, I don't know. That story is pretty... Uh, it's out there. I would think a creepypasta, except for the fact that... Crazy picture. Yeah, there's an actual like photo. A bowl. A bowl? It's like a bowl from... The last unicorn. Oh, oh the, bowl. Red, the red bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like a ghost bowl. It does look really freaky. It also could just so, be smoke with a camera flash. Totally true. What I wanted to say about this, which is important, is the eerie parallels. The green glowing light in the area has been reported by many people in the area. Yeah. There's a story in the expansion. We're going to talk about that. But coming up in this episode, kind of our last big story from Corey Daniels, there are so many little parallels here. Like he experiences something like a, a wraith. He describes it almost the same way as far as a being something that he's never seen anything like it before and it flies at him hovering he describes this thing is hovering just off the ground eerily making the hand over hand like it's climbing in some ethereal other realm yeah that's but towards you uh weird parallel so we'll hear that story but i thought that was interesting to include for those reasons of kind of cross i love my favorite is actually a comment that was left on this article it was actually not on this article it was on a different article it was on a different article about a story we might tell in the expansion oh, okay about a doorway an archway to another world in the Superstition Mountains. But this comment on there was so interesting, I needed to include it. From Debbie Rasmussen from the Tucson Weekly, there's an article called Mysteries in the Mountains. And this was just a comment left. It's so interesting, all the people that were leaving comments, because it's not a paranormal website, it's the right. Tucson Weekly. But the comments were filled with, oh, in 1978, when I was there, we saw this. Anyways, this was one of the little experiences. John, do you want to read this one? 
Certainly. I hope the author reads this comment because I too have experienced the same. I was a youngster at the time, probably only nine years old, around 1963. My father and I were visiting my grandmother in Hesperia, California. We had gotten new BB guns and walked out into the desert in early afternoon for some target shooting, when all of a sudden, a door appeared with cascading, greenish crystal lights falling downwards. The apparition was the same shape as a regular door, but set up about two feet up off the sand. The only thing that defined its shape were these tiny crystalline lights, kind of like you'd see coming from a sparkler, and cascading downward all within this rectangular door. There are no rock formations, just a flat sandy area with tumbleweeds. I looked at my dad and asked him, What's that, Dad? He didn't know, and we never talked about it, and never discussed it with anyone until now. I only found your article because I googled doorway of cascading lights. Yes, it was something to behold. I only wonder what would have happened if we had gone through it. Fascinating. Yeah, I find fascinating about that is that she actually came across the article because she was Googling to find the answer to what she saw in the desert. Yeah. She came across this and she's like, I've witnessed something similar. I only found this because I was looking to find an answer, you know. It's interesting. It reminds me of, do you guys remember we did that episode called It Happened on Halloween? Do you remember the story of the boy who was watching cartoons or something in, in the evening time? And off to the corner in the hallway, a doorway opened above the ground and it was green glowing. And then a disembodied green hand came through, hairy hand, which is a huge phenomenon that comes up all time from listener submissions. Mm. It was just reminding me of that because of the green portal doorway. We talked about like, is there another dimension where there's just like these, oh, you made a bad joke. I remember, yeah. (laughs) What's a bad joke? Something about like some other dimension where monkey men pay money to stick their hands through this (laughs) interdimensional doorway. Green monkey men. Yeah. It made a lot of sense. But yeah, it is weird that it would be a common phenomenon. What are these hands doing coming out of there? Yeah. I wonder if she stuck around longer if they would have seen a hand. But what a weird thing to see in the desert. Desert is a weird place. So another interesting thing to mention here that we've actually talked about in an episode called Strange Travels. I just happened to come across this again during the research. Devil winds. Which connects to the idea of chindi spirits. Was that a Navajo tradition or Navajo belief? I believe so. What I found really interesting was a, a connection that actually Steve Stockton made. You guys remember Steve Stockton? Oh, yeah. Great author. He does a YouTube channel with Bill Melder called Missing Persons Mysteries, which we've recommended before. And I'm going to recommend again because it's an amazing classic YouTube channel. If you just want to get into some really interesting mysteries, read really well and presented well, check that out. Link in the show notes. But he brings up in an interview that I happened to catch on the Fringe Radio Network about this evil wind. And it reminded me so much of this. And he compared this. I think he was covering Yosemite at the time, this area called Brideville Falls, where there's this kind of evil wind or this ethereal spinning energy, whatever you want to call it, that lures people to their death uh, over the falls. And he suggested that maybe there is something out there in nature protecting these places. And he makes the comparison with the Superstition Mountains. And this is a quote from an interview on the Fringe Network. I've heard this phenomenon in other places where there are winds that will mess with you. The Superstition Mountains in Arizona is another one. Very similar landscape in a lot of ways to what you might find in Yosemite. There they found headless bodies, heads with no bodies that didn't match the bodies that were found with no head. There's lost gold mines, there's curses, there's clouds that appear out of nowhere, rocks that can't seem to be photographed, and I've heard stories of wind that would come up just out of nowhere. And it was usually when somebody was inching along a cliff face or on the edge of a precipice or something, could have been calm all day and they get to somewhere the wind could affect them. 
And suddenly, these strong winds kick up out of nowhere. So I think there are a lot of things out there, spirits or mother nature, whatever you want to call it, that look after certain places. And if you're in there up to no good, or maybe taking from the land, something that's not yours in the first place, it kind of messes with you. So that's really interesting. That came from a really interesting interview, and we'll link that in the show notes from Steve Stockton. But this reminds me of another sinister wind, maybe more spiritual wind, the chindi. Yeah, and this relates back to that idea of being lured out Mm -hmm. into the desert. Right, especially if the chindi is under the control of, let's say, a bad shaman or something. The chindi, if you guys remember from our Strange Travels episode, the chindi, it is Navajo. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right. The chindi is an idea, it's something that leaves the dying person's body in their last breath. That's right. It represents everything that was bad about the person. It's the evil ooey that you you husk off yeah. of yourself. Let's say your soul leaves before, and this is the residue. What scrapes away as your soul passes through the barrier to the other world that is the negative. You're cleansed of what's left. Right, and that is the chindi. But it still has essence. It still has force, right? And, and autonomy, in a sense. And so there was this practice that you wouldn't have people die inside because you want their chindi Chindi would remain and then you couldn't live there anymore. It's so funny how that's such a global thing. Mm-hmm. Interior hauntings. Maybe that's why we get hauntings. And maybe that's why they're like the worst part of people mm-hmm. or the saddest part of people. Right. The shadows, echoes. You don't have a lot of happy ghosts. <laughs> some, some are out there. There are tales of people using exercise equipment and the like. <laughs> this is the interesting part. The Navajo, they also believe that the chindi spirit can be used to harm others. The Navajo witches or followers of the corpse poison way were believed to infect others with the chindi sickness. They did this by taking a piece of the corpse and making it into a bead or powder. They then trick the unsuspecting by having them ingest it. It was also believed that a Navajo medicine man could call upon the spirit world or chindi to inflict revenge on a person they held a grudge against. Now here's the idea. Navajo, also in Arizona here, were they, (laughs) I mean, if there was a curse, they call it an Apache curse, what have you, is it possible that the chindi or this negative essence of people that die in the area could be used to inflict harm on those that might cross the sacred lands? This is all complete conjecture, right. obviously. I'm not a native scholar in any way or anything else, but just these, these kind of connections are interesting. Yeah. But it's interesting you find the people at the bottom of some of these steep cliff faces that are experienced hikers and then just find them like they've fallen suddenly yeah. for no apparent reason. And as a side note, there was an interesting explanation from Dorothy Vitaliano in 1973 in her book, Legends of the Earth, and talking about this idea of these winds. And she says that some Apaches believe that the hole leading down into the lower world or lower realm is located in the Superstition Mountains. Winds blowing from the hole are supposed to be the cause of severe dust storms in the metropolitan region. Hmm. Is she a meteorologist? <laughs> Maybe they're they're hip to that. It's just kind Winds of Winds from the hole tonight are strong, so make sure you stay indoors. Yeah, interior earth stuff. We're going to get into that in the expansion a little bit yeah, with this area, right? Yeah, going on that idea. And also the idea of Apache guards. There's a story that we'll get into from Charles Maku from 1959, actually. And he was an acolyte of the Shaver Mystery. If you guys know anything about the hollow earth story there, it's all... We're going to get into that. Pretty fantastical stuff. The Darrow and the underworld. And that comes into play. But he had a crazy experience there. But it does tie into that. Glowing lights... The force field disabling force we just heard about in that story from 2001, that disabling force field kind of force where you're locked in place. He experiences the same thing, glowing lights, green lights. That'll be in the expansion, but just to say that that is a pattern. Now, this last story, saw him tell the story, I think it was a year or so ago, and then I, I finally found it again. It comes from the Paranormal Files, big channel on YouTube. We'll link that in the show notes. And they interview Corey Daniels, and I tried to reach out. I hadn't heard back, and I hope he's doing good. In their interview, he does a really good job breaking down the area. He has a tour guide, so he's 
He's obviously very knowledgeable about the area, the history. He's a third generation Phoenician, so he's lived there his whole life. He's, I think he's backpacked like almost over all of Arizona. Yeah. He does like part-time as a cowboy ranch hand and then spent a lot of his life with old prospectors, just kind of shadowing them. And also in a bunch of esoteric stuff. Sounds like a guy you'd want to have a beer with, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and his website is crazy. I mean, there's so many interesting articles, stuff about the five-hand challenge. I don't know if that's what it's called, <laughs> where you you know, where you would hold up five fingers, you hold them up. I think that goes back we to- We talked about this before. The idea of the Indian, the how, which is kind of like a stereotype of Indian communication. Mm-hmm. But the idea that the holding up the hand was a real thing, and it was to show that you only had five fingers. You were human. You were human. And you weren't a descendant of the giants, the cannibalistic right. giants that lived there previously. Fascinating. I mean, that goes into a whole other thing that we should do an episode on, but chalk it up to say that his website is really good, Phoenix Enigma. So that link will be in the show notes. Check that out. But this story comes from him. Definitely check out the full interview. Yeah, it'll be linked in the show notes. And we'll have an image of where this takes place at Burrow Creek. So this is his story. I've never told this story before. I'll tell it. It happened. It's true. As God is my witness. I was at Burrow Creek almost to Wikiup. That bridge there, that canyon, a lot of death has happened there. I was there about two o'clock in the morning, coming back from Phoenix. I was out there with my dog on the edge overlooking the canyon. I was taking a break. I was so tired and I had my knife on me. I carried a knife back in the day and it was about a three quarter moon night. It was nice out at first, But then I started feeling creepy. Something was bad. Something was wrong. And then it went from feeling awkward and weird to the hair on the back of my neck standing up to I'm in imminent danger. I was looking around when I noticed my dog was under the truck. And I thought, shit, something's going on here. And I don't know why, but I looked up and to my left, backwards, and something was bearing down on me. I instinctively rolled into a keto roll. And when I came up, I grabbed my knife. But here's the weird part. As I was rolling, the thing buzzed me. And I heard it come by. And I heard cloth. It was wearing clothing. And it was flying. And when I came back up, I pulled my knife out and I screamed. The adrenaline went and it was fight or flight. And I can't remember what I even screamed now. But it went out probably about 30, 40 yards. It stopped, it turned, and it hovered right there. It felt like it hovered for what felt like about a minute, but it couldn't have been more than three or four seconds, five seconds maybe. And it looked, the best way I could describe it, is if you've you've seen Lord of the Rings, remember those things that ride those dragons? Nazgul. Yeah, or the, the ring wraiths. It looked like that, and it was wearing a black cloth. And that's what tripped me out. It wasn't an owl, it wasn't a hawk. It was hovering in place. It wasn't moving. It wasn't flying. It was hovering. And then it turned off to the southwest and went towards Greenwood Peak. And I watched it fly. I could watch it because it was a pretty bright night out, about a three-quarter moon night. It's the craziest damn thing I've ever seen out there in the desert. I went home and I called one of my friends and asked him what he thought. And he was like, oh, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, what do you tell someone when they call you up at three o'clock in the morning and tell you that, you know? But that happened. That happened. Truly bizarre. And if you hear him tell the story, we'll link his original telling. Yeah, you can just see the genuineness. His eyes get big when he starts to tell the story, kind of watery. He's never told the story before, so you can tell it kind of catches him off guard when they ask him the question. Yeah, the body language is, you know, it's legit when you watch it. Crazy. Crazy. So what the heck 
I love the strange, like just how bizarre that description is. Like, what is that thing? Well, even? if you give any credence to like the idea that there's portals out there to other worlds, like who knows what sort of variety or John panoply of strange <laughs> right. things might be out there, you know? Yeah. Really we talked about the Shindy spirit. That kind of sounds like something that you could extrapolate and say that is. I'm the more out there idea. I was just looking for other strange winged things allegedly in the area. And one idea is the Aswang or Aswang, which is a Filipino kind of catch-all for like a flying vampire thing monsters that suck viscera like your insides Mm -hmm. out that kind of stuff gross stuff why would it be there well i i wouldn't even make this association except allegedly in the apache death cave oh which we're gonna get into in the expansion fascinating story yeah that is the home allegedly of an asswang which is about a i think a two-hour asswang (laughs) (laughs) asswang i'm not pronouncing it right it doesn't sound good when you say it like that john (laughs) But the Apache Death Cave is about two and a half hours driving time, I think, from Burrow Creek, where this happened to him. But flying time might be a lot faster. If things, no, if I mean, why would them. a Filipino oh, well, it's night just, flyer be in Phoenix it's just area? A, it's kind of like saying a Bigfoot. I mean, it's, it's, if you see a flying creature that's supposed to be vampiristic, right. I'm sure you can't prove that if this thing exists, that it caught a boat from the Philippines. Or if it does exist, why would it only exist in exactly. one region it's, specifically? I think it's more of just a combination of like a blog, mm-hmm. you know, correlation. But the idea that something exists in the Apache death cave is not that outlandish to me, especially with the, it's a mass grave. The death and, and palpable darkness there and the history would make sense. And we're going to get into the story of the Apache death cave in the expansion, but who knows what that thing was, man? I mean, I believe that he saw something, especially if he was our guide on the Pink Jeep tour. <laughs> Remember that guy being genuine? Oh, yeah. Corey, if you're out there, hit us up because I'd like to know more. But his website's interesting. Like I said, there's tons of stuff, so we'll link that. But yeah, guys, that's that's uh, what we have for the uh, essentially the first part of the Superstition Mountains. We'll get into more in the expansion. I think the stuff in the expansion is going to be even more insane. Wild. Yes. Yeah, we can get a little more into the conspiracy stuff too, so check that out. But I hope you guys dug this. Uh, would love to know your thoughts on it. Oh, shout out to Ben Roberts, a longtime friend and member of The Whole, actually recommended this topic. Also, Sizzlemeat just found an email from him, otherwise known as Reggie, who happens to live in this area and has some crazy stories that I didn't even, I didn't even see his email until after we did this in the expansion episode, but um, we'll get back to him. Oh, there's one more guy who actually wrote in who's in the area. Jason, I think, I think his name is, who lives in Phoenix there just off from the Superstition Mountains. He'd written in a listener story that I'd never seen before, which we might do on a future episode, but just wanted to give a shout out since he's in the air. A beliefling in the Sonoran Desert. <laughs> out there. Any listeners with strange experiences there, let us know. Write in or send us a speak pipe. Yeah, maybe we'll do a listener stories base there. If we get enough. Cool. Do we have any thank yous today? Oh, we do. I believe we do. Yes, we do. So thank you to everybody who signs up. Yes! You get double the episodes, double content, and some extra stuff. Original, you get the first season of amazingness, strangeness. Oh, the archived first season yes. will be there for you as well. It's gotta be like 90 episodes or something. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's always growing. Oh, in case you guys missed it, shout out to Jay for starting a Reddit subreddit for Beliefful, which is kind of cool. If you guys are on the Reddit and Redditing about, check it out and you can talk about, I don't know, whatever you guys talk about on Reddit, different episodes, yeah. share stories, research ideas. Search Beliefful on Reddit. You can just probably just search Beliefful on Reddit and find it, but we'll have a link in the show notes directly to that subreddit. So cool. Thanks, man, for doing that. If you didn't hear us mention yeah, it last Reviews, time. anyone want to leave reviews? If you're not an expansion member yet, but you want to support the show, definitely leave a review reviews on your are player. Great. Yeah, we read every one. So we will see it if and you And they help it. us reach more people. They definitely do. It takes into account in the algorithm to help us grow. So if you're listening, you haven't left a review yet, but you love the show, it would be awesome of you and we would seriously appreciate it. All right, let's thank those who have joined the expansion. So first, thank you especially to our Dogman Whisperers and Shadow Persons of Interest. Yes, this one's for you. Yes. 
All right, thank you to Kristen Filter. Oh, Kristen Filter. Hey. Filter my dreams. Great band. Chris <laughs> <laughs> is like, Kristen, my filter. just repeats the same. Kristen Filter. I said great band. Oh, oh that's great. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca Howerluk. Howerluk. Welcome in. <laughs> Sorry to not pronounce that right. Brooke Barbari. There's a name from the past. How you doing? Hey. Good gal. Thank you so much for Welcome generosity. Uh, thank you to Scott Riley. Scott Riling him up. Get him going. Adam David Winton. Welcome to the oh, show. Three names in one man. I like it. Welcome, sir. Roland Belstead. Ding dong. <laughs> what does that mean? No. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Welcome in, sir. Welcome to the hall. Terrence Padilla or Padilla. Welcome in, Terrence. Welcome to be here. We love you. Eric Wallert. Hello, Eric. We are glad to have you. <laughs> it's a little song for you. Jordan J. Lawson, thank you so much for your extra generosity. Yes, my Jordan J. Lawson, welcome to the hole, my friend. Get in. Yes. Kevin Cruz. Kevin, yes. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Cruise on down to the hole. Way to be here. Jennifer Dabrowski. Yes. Hello, my dear friend. Yes. Hello, Hello, Jennifer. Jennifer. Yes. So great to see you. Welcome, oh, Jen. We love Jennifer. Great gal. Thanks to Emily McMinn. Emily McMinn. McMinn for the win. McMinn for the win. Thank you for yes. your generosity being a shadow person of interest. That's extra special. I forgot these yes. are the higher tiers. You guys are awesome. Yeah. And extra, extra special, Kenneth Higgins. Oh, man. At yes. $25 a month. I don't yes. know if you wanted us to say that, but yes. thank you so much for your yes. extra generous support. If you support. ever leave Kenneth, the show disappears. So just <laughs> yes. remember that. Good guy and good friend. Yeah. We love you, Ken. Yes. Jeffrey Nord has upgraded to a Dogman Whisperer. Jeffrey Nordlinger. Oh my gosh, I just listened to the stinger that I made for you a couple days ago. Oh, that was great. A couple years ago? That was awesome. No, I mean, I listened to ah. it a couple days ago. Welcome, sir, to the high tier. Yes, classic. The Jeffrey Nordlinger Swallow. Angie Caballero has upgraded. Angie, you are a beautiful yes. woman. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go with John hitting on uh, faceless supporters of the show. We know Angie. Very kind. Wonderful woman. Very kind of you. Yes. Uh, DJ Benson at $10 a month. What? DJ, yes, you yes, radical yes, yes, man. Yes. <laughs> we love you. What's up to Alyssa? Say hi for us. I hope your life's going well, buddy. Miss yes. you. Yes. Mikhail Kauai. Yes. Welcome, Mikhail. I tried my best with Kauai? your name. That is a cool name. Isn't Ka- that? Kauai, it's spelled Kauai? differently. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm not going to spell it. <laughs> but it is happy to have you Very here. interesting Regardless. name. Regardless. Yes, thank you so much, my friend, for your support. Yes. Rex Petrico. I remember this guy. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good fella. You sound like you're a movie star. Thank you for being a dogman whisperer, my Rex friend. Rex Petrico. Stacy Kowalski. Hi. Stacy. Oh, I know that name. Stacy? Oh, Kowalski. Yeah. Was that it? Yeah, that was... Uh, Kelly, Kelly Kapowski. Okay. Yeah, she was my <laughs> love of my life growing up. And everyone. Thank you for being here. M. Adam Kzuk. Adam, man, these things are inter- really interesting. <laughs> M. Adam Kzuk. I can't Welcome, I'm sir. really bad with words. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, M. But thank you so much for being here, yes. you frisky ghoul. We appreciate your patronage yeah, so much. Running out of music. I guess we'll do one more? Yeah. And finally, Aaron Boggs. Aaron Boggs. Blast from the past. We grew up with an Aaron Boggs. We say that every time that we mention his name. Was it Jay Boggs? It, yeah, that was Jay. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. There was the music. <laughs> I think you did intentionally. Anyways, huh. thank you so much, Aaron. Go for three minutes. <laughs> thank you for being here. Yes, Aaron. Um, appreciate it, man. Sorry to hear about the flooding, man. I hope everything's going okay with you and you guys are doing okay. But we really appreciate your support. We appreciate all you guys in the whole. If you didn't hear your name this time, stick around. There is a backlog and we can only do so many there each episode. There will always be a backlog. There'll always be a backlog. So when you sign up, you might not hear for an episode or two or three. Good reason <laughs> to keep listening. Yeah. 
We will get to <laughs> you. We will get to everyone. Just, yes. You know, it may just take a little while. Yeah. Shows up once every two weeks. Right. So. We're always doing the show, but we don't get to put, it takes so much work and time that we don't get to put out till every couple weeks. Yeah. So not that we're lazy. No, absolutely we, not. We work Definitely not that. Bleeding a lot. As you guys know, because you guys have been our here. Our fingers bleed. Yeah. And our brains. Our Independent. Brains. The clocks go late. So yeah, we really do appreciate the people that have signed up because we couldn't do it without you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really does mean so much. All the reviews and the, um, just the support and you guys being here. We have an awesome community of, of belieflings and holers as some like to be called. Um, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yes. Yeah. And we'll see the expansion for more superstition mountain madness. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys. All right, guys. We'll see you next time on Believeful. 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 A little staggered. A little cascaded. Yeah, I liked it. Oh, John, did you notice we cut this out? But I wore a new shirt for you. It's a new pattern. (laughs) Always with the pattern. Can you tell what it is? Frogs. Christmas Close. trees? Close. Bears and pine trees. Those are both good guesses. I mean, it's in the same vein. Christmas patterned shirts. Well, they don't you sell are plat- the Al Borland of <laughs> podcasters. Well, they don't sell plaid at Kohl's anymore, so it's either it's this true, or like... We just lost eight people that <laughs> never heard us before. I think Kohl's' plan is to make men more silly as time goes on, so there's no... Like, I can't just find That's a black button. That's not just Kohl's. <laughs> I know. <laughs> everything. It's the world. But it, it's just funny with clothes. It's like, you're just always having a good time, All which is men great. are useless... Eaters. <laughs> I was going to go that far. They just like to have fun. You know, they like to wear shirts with turtles and bears. Yeah, and, and just lose their keys. Be children forever. <laughs> lose their keys. Are you describing me? Is that what's going on? <laughs>following February, they found his headless skeleton, and his skull was found about 30 feet away. And this is the inter- another interesting part. Maybe his head fell off when he was walking, and then he walked a little further and fell over. Oh my god, I didn't even thought about that. <laughs> That's not a bad you know theory. What? It happens sometimes. It does happen sometimes. Uh-huh. Not often. What did you say? I should be a theory so reporter? You- no. <laughs> yes, a theory reporter. <laughs> New podcast by John. Theory reporter. <laughs> and next is a theory about... I said you should have talked to the coroner because the coroner, he also thought there was no evidence of foul play. Right. Because if your head just falls off. It was a month with two full moons and a blue moon. And this was important to her because she was a Wiccan. And this is how our story begins. Anybody want to read this? Chris, you haven't read. You want to read this one? (laughs) Katrina is a liar. And witches are evil. <laughs> she met Robert S. <laughs> Obviously, just kidding. Are you describing me? Is that what's going on? <laughs> it's funny because you are, you are that. What? Watch your mouth. You are the sir. modern man. <laughs> the modern man. I want a shirt of a modern man compared to like an older man. Uh huh. You mean from olden times? Yes. Start as a caveman and go gradually up through like wartime and then down to. Then, yeah, like the head dips back down because they're looking at their. <laughs> I've seen ones like that were like evolution of, you know, Neanderthal and then he's like up, then he gets a phone, then he goes back down. He's hunched over and that is us. Not me. I hang upside down. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like a bat. I also have a leg splitting machine. I'm, I'm getting better at it. I might be able to do a split in like a year from now. That is awesome, John. Feels great. There's probably tons of spread the whole jokes going on right now, (laughs) (laughs) which is inappropriate. I didn't even take us off topic too much, but I wanted to share. Let's get into it.